Well, let's get to it. Why don't you turn with me? Let's start today in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, is where we'll begin. Have you ever thought about some of the great men? And one of the things that make great men in history stand out is usually some of the things that they, not, not only the things they did, but also the things they said. And oftentimes the thing they said carried more weight based on what they did. So it was Patrick Henry, uh, who was a fairly young man during the days of the American Revolution, thundered those famous words, give me liberty or give me death. I mean, that guy goes down as, as, as saying something that was kind of profound. You know, maybe uh, you remember um, is reading about or hearing about in school, or maybe some of you are old enough to remember Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he said during the dark days of the Depression, he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I mean, that's a pretty big statement. Of course, um, you know, JFK uh, asked not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Um, you know, and, and, you know, statements that men make that, that go down and kind of echo throughout history. Um, my, my cousin, uh, Winston Churchill, I know there's a resemblance. Um, <laughs> uh, I grew, it's funny, I grew up hearing that he was like our sixth cousin or something like that. And uh, we all thought it was just my grandma making stuff up. But my brother-in-law did like a full-on, you know, study about our family history. And sure enough, he's like our sixth cousin. It's kind of funny. Um, but uh, but uh, he said, you know, uh, during World War II, 1941, um, during a speech, he said, never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. And he said that, you know, when... when um, wasn't looking so good for the Brits in, in World War II. If you know your history, it was not a good time for them, but that, that, that kind of resolve. Those famous words, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. <laughs> Bill Clinton, during the dark days of the Lewinsky scandal. Maybe that doesn't fit in there. I don't know. I, one of these things is not like, I just thought I'd throw that one in just for fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, great historical figures are often remembered by the quotes that they, that they made, you know, and, um, and I think, you know, when I think about Joshua, um, you know, he, he was famous for a lot of things. One of the things that is interesting to me is, is um, in Joshua chapter 1, three times the Lord says, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do you get a sense that, like, Joshua needed that, like, pep talk from God? And I get the sense that not only God knew that, because God knows all things, but what's even more funny, I think the people knew that too. So Moses now, you know, he's gone. Joshua's now in charge. God says three times, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. And then after God's done talking to Joshua, there at the end of chapter one of Joshua, then the people said, okay, Joshua, um, we will follow you like we followed Moses, which that wouldn't be very encouraging if you ask me. Um, that, thanks a lot, people. You didn't do that very well. But, you know, we will follow you like we followed Moses. But the people said, only be strong and of good courage, Joshua. So the question is, why, why was he seemingly um, kind of, what, was he fearful? Was he lacking courage? What was the deal with him? I have a hunch that um, it may not be what we think. You know, you and I might think, well, was he a little apprehensive to go to battle? But as, as it turns out, Joshua kind of is a stud in battle. Uh, when you read the story, you know, Joshua's fighting down in the valley with a sword and, you know, subduing the enemies. And like, Joshua, he's like a legit battle-scarred dude. Um, but I wonder, you know, what was it that, that was seemingly lacking in his courage? I'm not sure we can make a big case one way or the other. 
But it's toward the end of his life here that he says something that I wonder if we're starting to touch on something that uh, is, is more of the fearful issue with Joshua. Um, so let's go to chapter 24, Joshua 24, verse 1. It says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So this is a big convocation of all the, the, the men, the leaders, everyone uh, in Shechem, in Israel. This is a big deal. A lot of brothers all in one place, uh, kind of like this. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's a, um, a good description here of what he talked about, but the, the thing that, that maybe is the quotable out of this, uh, this little discussion he has with all these men, the one that goes down in history in my book, is kind of, it starts in verse 14 of this chapter. As he's talking to these guys, Joshua 24, 14 says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, that's, a, that's the quotable right there. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what you, you can kind of get the sense that he's using stronger language. It's like, I don't give a rip what you guys are going to do. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> but as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. I, I like this. I, I wonder if this, if it took Joshua years to get to this place where he was so resolved, uh, he could say, I could care less what the rest of the, the country, whatever the rest of the nation, you guys are worshiping all these other gods and pagan deities. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a, what a great resolve. The reason I bring this up is because the climate at that time of a man saying about his home, man, we're going to serve the Lord and him only. That was a bold statement. You know, I'm sure that you'd get pushback in those days from the people. Oh, Mr. Lottie da Wow, he's holy, worshiping one God and not into, you know, these other deities. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure there was pushback. I mean, there's obviously a problem. You know, we've read through this section of the Old Testament and the people were constantly up and down, good and bad, doing that which is right in their own sight. But Joshua says, nope, as for me and my house, this is the way it's going to be. Um, it doesn't say at the end, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right, honey? doesn't say that. Joshua didn't ask Mrs. Joshua. Um, honey, are you on board with this? I, I like how Joshua, as, as the leader of his home, makes this declaration, and, and it's, it's a, um, a singular, unilateral, you know, resolve in his heart to say, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and that's really what I think is lacking today. You know, being a man today in 2018 is sort of, uh, we're, we're in this interesting season. We've watched over the last couple decades the diminishing of manliness, the diminishing of, um, you know, being uh, a godly, strong man. And, and, and that might even, that image of a godly, strong man is almost cartoonized today. Like, like the world thinks that's a joke. 
Um, and it's laughable. Uh, we need the softening of men, and, you know, this, and, and women, you know, the women's live movement kind of changed the whole thing, and, and uh, a lot of times men are just starting to kind of back off in the background and say, man, okay, whatever, whatever you say, honey, if you want to do that with our family, uh, okay. And we, we've taken such a, a passive role, and, and there's all kinds of things going on that I think are making that more and more uh, prevalent in our culture. Uh, and to be a guy who says, you know what, I'm, I'm not really going to go with the flow of our culture, but I'm actually going to go kind of old school, and I'm going to lead my home, I'm going to be a strength in my home, and I'm going to be uh, like Joshua and just make this declaration, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Um, now, if you do that, you might be considered Neanderthal man, you know, what an ogre, uh, making a declaration like that. I mean, that's kind of the culture, that's the attitude today that you'll bump up against. But the problem is, uh, when I talk about stuff like this, I've noticed there's certain kinds of men, and uh, there's some men, maybe even in this room, that'll hear this, like, yeah, man, we need to be, we need to be stronger, and we need to not be so whipped. Well, the chances are you're the guy that needs to tone that down a little bit, if you're saying that. Amen, brother. Um, calm down. It's funny, the people that hear the things I'm saying usually shouldn't be listening, and the guys that aren't listening should be. Uh, and maybe, so if you're the guy who's sort of, sort of just kind of taking the chill and said, yeah, you know, you know, spanking your children, that's kind of, you know, and raising the kids, that's really my wife, and, you know, my job is to just, you know, be there and kind of be a, a nice, soft, help, support. Eh, no, that's not it. You're the one that needs to listen today, uh, and, and, and maybe to varying degrees. Each one of us have different degrees of how you were raised, uh, what you were taught, uh, and, and there's all kinds of uh, influencing factors. And it, it really means uh, we have to get back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about the man's role in the family, especially as it relates to being fathers, grandfathers, future fathers? Um, we need to kind of get back to the Word. So I'd like you to, uh, if you would, maybe flip back uh, to the book of Ephesians. Go, go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And... Um, Let's review a little bit of what the Bible says about this. There in Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Interesting verse there. Um, it doesn't say to the mothers what they're supposed to do here. It, it says concerning, you know, it talks about honoring your father and mother and children obey your parents. And then it says fathers. And, and the word, you know, if you're God and you, you're going to make a statement on what fathers need to do, what would you say? And, and I, I'm not sure I would have come up with this as my first attempt. Uh, that you, you know, the fathers, what are they supposed to do? Well, bring them up in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's an interesting thing. You know, this idea of nurturing, uh, it sounds so, um, you know, squishy-mishy, but, uh, um, but the word nurture actually, uh, we'll, we'll kind of take a look at this, but the idea is bring them up uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's, let's, let's break this down. Bring them up. Who brings up the children in America largely today? Well, you might say, well, the women. But I might even be more specific. I'm going to say the child care. That's who's bringing up our kids today, child care. 
Uh, and child care includes, you know, the nanny. It includes the babysitter. It includes the teachers and Sunday school teachers. And, you know, like um, how many hours do our kids spend being trained up, bringing people up in, in you know, the, the uh, admonition of a teacher? It's interesting because, um, you know, starting out in uh, education myself, knowing who's teaching your kids, I have somewhat of a good sense of that because, you know, I, I saw uh, from the beginning to the end, the, the training, the teaching goes in to teachers, how to be teachers, and it would scare you to death if you saw it. The people that are teaching our kids, uh, you know, the, the National Education Association, horrifying. Uh, what they believe and what they do and their agenda. Um, you know, uh, my daughter Casey, uh, she's a student teacher down in Woodburn, has got a bilingual class that she's student teaching, and um, and she's, you know, she wanted like uh, older kids, like, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, but they gave her a kindergarten class. And so she's like, okay, you know, game on. And she's killing it. She's doing a good job and um, she's loving it. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the teacher said, um, you're going to have to uh, weave into your curriculum, you know, the whole thing of there's, it's okay to have two mommies, two daddies. Like that's part of the school curriculum, you know, and, um, and Casey, you know, just really said, you know, that's something that I, I believe we leave you know, that for uh, the parents to decide what they teach their kids on that, because I, I can't really say I agree with that. And, you know, she was risking all when, uh, when Casey was telling, you know, her advisor teacher not going to do that. And the advisor says, well, that's good. You know, like, okay, that's great. You know, and then it sailed right on through. I was in Israel when that happened, and Casey texted me, Dad, what do you think I should do on this? And a couple days later, I got back to her because I didn't have the right connection and stuff. And so, so uh, I, I finally got back to her, and I said, well, what would you say? And, that, and I was really proud of her for standing up to uh, the whole education system. But, you know, that's what your kids are going to learn. If they're in public school, it's part of the curriculum that uh, the gay parents, uh, the lesbian couple, the gay couple, it's all just as good as a mommy and a daddy. You, should, you know, don't, you don't think anything less of that configuration. That's what we're teaching our kids. So, you know, it, you know a lot of times we as dads, are, we think, well, we're bringing up our kids, but who's spending the most time bringing up our kids? And where does this worldview come from that our kids are growing up with? And um, you know, it's really something how uh, men have largely stepped out of that role of bringing up our children. You know, I'd say the next tier after your child care and nanny and, um, and, and school teachers and stuff like that, by and large, the next tier might just be the moms. They're the ones who bring up the kids. Men think that we're the ones who bring home the paycheck um, and the mom is the one who's supposed to bring up the kids. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The mom is not mentioned here. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, the problem with this is that this will go out and, and it'll be recorded online and some lady will go, what did the men learn on this? And they'll think, well, what about us ladies? I'm not talking to the ladies. If we're talking to the ladies, I'd talk about motherhood. And it'd be really warm and fuzzy and how appreci we appreciate the mothers. But this is for the guys. So disclaimer uh, right now. Uh, it's, it's funny, everybody wants me to cover every side of every coin, uh, but I'm not gonna do that. Um, but on this case, uh, it's funny to me that the Bible doesn't say the wives bring up their children in the way of the Lord. It doesn't say that here. It says here, when God's talking to them about the family, he says, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. This is your job as a man, as a father, as a husband, maybe even as a grandfather. It's your job to bring up your families uh, in the uh, nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, this idea of provoking your kids to wrath, what does that mean? I used to think it just meant don't be irritating to your kids. 
you know. Um, you know, uh, it, was, it was fun. I remember when my kids were little, I used to love to tickle them to just to the edge of death. You know what I mean? Like tickling your kids is like the funnest thing. I remember tucking our kids in and, you know, and Joey and I'd start, you know, he's a little tiny guy and I'd start tickling and then we'd start wrestling and, and um, um, you know, and, and just, we just had a blast, you know, and, um, but, but man, that, that's just, and I, I, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to provoke your children to wrath. That's what I used to think. But now that I've done over a thousand weddings and I've seen, you know, uh, as, as a youth pastor, you know, from all the way back in uh, 1984, uh, to the present, I've seen um, long-term what I think that means more than it does just, you know, provoking them to wrath right in the moment. It actually means because we fail in our fathering duties, when our kids grow up, they're, at, they're actually angry at you because of the ball that you dropped, the thing you didn't teach them, the, the, the thing that you thought you were doing, but you really weren't. Or, or the, I'm, I'm always amazed how many kids um, are just really bummed out at their upbringing now, some of it's fair, some of it's not. Um, what do you mean, bro? What are you talking about? Well, I'm always um, interested, like, uh, when I, I do these weddings where the, the bride, and this happens more than you'd imagine, the bride doesn't want her dad to walk her down the aisle. That happens all the time. Yeah, I don't want my dad. Why don't you want your dad to walk you down the aisle? I mean, that's kind of tradition. Yeah, but he really wasn't my dad, you know. And, and then there's the dad pouting at the wedding uh, because he's not walking his daughter down the aisle. And, and, and then he, he's, his argument, man, I'm her father. And, and I would say, yeah, you're the biological father, but the reason you're not walking her down the aisles because you weren't really the dad. You're just, you're just the biological dad. Um, like, like, it's really interesting to me to watch men pout when their kids don't really appreciate uh, who they weren't. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing to me. I wonder if provoking your children, you know, to wrath has a longer term sort of notion to it, attached to it, that Maybe just um, by us being negligent as dads, by us not really reaching into their lives or participating or loving on them rightly, or, you know, the, the ball that gets dropped, um, I think it can make our kids grow up just sort of angry. Maybe they don't even know they're angry at you, but they're just angry. It's kind of an interesting thing that I've, I've seen in the longer term. And so part of my objective today is to try to help us nip that stuff in the bud. Now, now by the way, a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about, some of you are older, and you're like, Brett, man, uh, it's too late for me. And, and one thing I want to tell you is it's never too late. It's never too late. Um, and uh, being an example of a godly man, it's never too late to start that. You might be 65 years old and have a, you know, grandkids and, you know, and, and uh, you know, your kids are adults. It's never too late to uh, start being a godly man and being an example. Because um, the kids, your kids, your grandkids, they'll see a difference. And they'll see an example of what it means to change and to be altered and to be transformed. That's what it's all about anyway, being transformed into what God wants us to be. So don't, don't ever feel like it's too late. Um, there are some things, though, I have to just admit and be honest, it's better to catch it early. <laughs> you know, if your kids are uh, little babies or preschoolers, you know, if they're past preschool, it's almost too late in a lot of ways. I'm just saying that uh, it's better to catch it early. That's what, one of the things I want to do is help you younger guys but if you're an older guy, don't give up. Don't, don't feel like it's ever too late. But provoking your children to wrath is something I think we do inadvertently by just not being the father God's called us to be. That's what happens. That's the fruit of that. So what does it mean to bring them up in the nurture of the Lord? Well, let me, um, let me uh, have you jot down a few things uh, about this that will kind of link to this passage and talk about it. Number one, key things to remember. Most of what your children learn is caught 
and not taught. This is huge. Dads, future dads, grandpas, what your children learn is caught, not taught. I don't know what the percentage is. I've never seen a scientific study on this, but I'm gonna guess. I'm just gonna take a stab as a guy who's been married for 30 plus years and you know, kids growing up in the house, as an old youth pastor, as a pastor and doing all these weddings. I'm gonna guess, I'm just gonna guess and say that 95% of who your kids are is what they catch and it's not about what, they, what you taught them. The other 5%, maybe 10%. If we're gonna be crazy, let's go 10%. 10% is what you teach them. 90% is what they catch just hanging out with you, watching you, your behavior, what you really do. That's why it's so foolish when a man says, uh, kids, do as I say, not as I do, because that, that's just ridiculous. That's just not gonna work. Never works, never has worked. Do as I say, not as I do, no. No, your kids are gonna become largely who they are based on who you are, whether that's if they become just like you or they learn to hate you and wanna be exactly opposite of you. That's, that's what happens. Now, here's a scary thing for you dads, um, and you older dads, you'll, you'll say amen to this, but have you ever noticed that whatever, whatever you are, your kids will magnify? They'll put a magnifying glass on you and that's who they'll become. You're like, well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know, you tell me. If you're sweet and kind to your wife, then your kids are gonna grow up to be sweeter and kinder to their wife, uh, your sons are. Um, if you're a jerk to your wife and you're mean, your kid, your son will be more of a jerk and even meaner to your wife. If you're um, you know, an alcoholic uh, and you're a rager, your kids are gonna be worse than you. Uh, like it, it, everything you do will be, if you're an angry man, they're gonna be angrier, you know? Um, it's, it's, an, it's a scary thing. Whoever you are, just magnify that, and that's what your kids are. Like good, bad, the ugly, it's all gonna be magnified. Um, which makes me realize that I need to be uh, on, game on, all the time. Um, when my kids were growing up in the house, because uh, it's so funny how I'd see little things in my, my kids, Brookie, Joey, and Casey, and my own personality. I'm like, oh, Lord, oh, don't let them catch that one. Ah, oh, Lord, that personality trait. Lord, erase that, please, you know, help. You know, it may, I, I started to become more and more aware of just stupid things I say or do and how my kids would catch those things. And um, it's very sobering when you realize how much your kids, uh, and, and you know, you, you'll see it a little bit when they're preschoolers. You'll see it a lot when they're in their, their, you know, teenage years and young adult years. You'll think, man. And by that time, it's a little too late to backpedal. Um, <clears throat> game on. It's always on. One of the mistakes I think men make um, is that we sort of think that our job is to provide, and it is, and we'll talk about that in a second, but the idea of provision um, is more than just money, and, and, and it has to do with providing your, your kids with a place to grow up um, where they can learn some really good stuff, but the problem is we, we, we check out. We feel like um, we do all our stuff during the day. When we come home, that's our time to chill. And man, if I could do one thing for you guys, it'd be one thing, and this for you younger guys particularly, is, is this, is to change your thinking about when the most important part of your day really is. This has to do with marriage. It has to do with, <clears throat> you know, raising kids, the home, the whole thing. And, and, and it's, it's kind of like this. Um, and I use this example a lot. I've talked about this even at Ironworks, but um, just a reminder, um, it's all about the big lift, the big lift. I call it the big lift. 
And the reason why is because when I used to compete in, in you know, the bench in powerlifting and stuff, it's all about being, having your body and everything ready for that moment when you're going for the big lift of the day. Um, if you're not ready for the big lift, you're going to fail. You're going to bomb out. Um, and and uh, by the way, George helped me with this. You know, George, uh, I always talk about George, world record holder in the bench press, 615 pounds, 65-year-old guy who was benching that much, um, you know, at 230. weighed 230 pounds, benching 615. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So when George started helping me, he helped my lift. And this was the main thing that he did, by the way, is it's all about the warm-up. See, when you're young, you don't warm up. You young guys get under the bench, yeah, all right, it's cool. When you're old, that'll kill you. Um, <laughs> if you just go and start doing the big, the big heavy stuff. George would start with the bar. He and I'd be in the gym with the, just the bar, and we'd slowly work through, you know, some high reps. And then we'd put a plate on, go through some high reps, a couple more plates, high reps. And, 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 you know, and then you start narrowing it down. And, and, eventually, and I, it, before I met George, I think, George, you know, we're wasting all this energy for the big lift. You know, if we're in a competition, um, do you do all this warm-up? And, and uh, George said, more. I do more warm-up. It's a funny thing, and the more we, I learned sort of how to warm up rightly and be ready for the big lift, it's amazing. Uh, it changed my whole thing. Uh, you'd think you'd be pooped by the time you're ready to really do the big lift. That's what happens with you guys. You, you spend all your energy at work doing the stuff you do. But the big lift is not with your boss. The big lift is not with your coworkers or getting her done at work. The big lift of the day is when you walk in the door at the end of the day and you see your family. That's the big lift. That's when you want to have the most power. You want to have your most, you know, game on. Your face needs to be right. Your attitude needs to be right. Your heart, your, your uh, strength, your endurance. That's when you want to be at the peak of your day, right there, when you walk in the door. And that's when you show great love to your wife and your affection. It's not, you know, oh, man, I'm just taught, pooped, uh, uh, and just walking in and, you know, sit down in the lazy boy. <laughs> Get out of my face, kids. You know, that's, that's totally the wrong thing. Um, game on when you walk in the door. That's when the big lift of the day is. And, and that's the biggest mistake we make. We think we can sort of check out um, once we come home. And that's, that, that, that's your job. You'll forget that day at work. You'll forget the career that you had. You'll forget your boss. But your kids, how you did with them, uh, how you were a father, what your face looked like when, when you came home from work, were you, uh, were you a, a, a kind-hearted, you know, warm, wise, uh, you know, father ready to, you know, spend some quality time with his kids, or were you the pooped dad that just sat in the lazy boy? You're always ready for the bigger lift. Uh, remember when you were in football or, or whatever, when you had to go into overtime? You know, I played both ways in, in high school, uh, both ways and special teams, you know. It's because our team wasn't, didn't have very many players, so they kind of had to just play us all the whole time. But I remember playing that year, uh, it was, it was uh, in my junior year, we were playing against Roseburg High School. At that time, they were a good team. And Hidden Valley, that was our best year, junior year. We, our record that year was five, uh, five wins, four losses, which was big for Hidden Valley. Um, and... Uh, and I remember when we played Roseburg there at their stadium, uh, what was his name, Thurman Bell, I think was his name, Ross, is that right? And, um, and it was so cool because Hidden Valley High School went into overtime with Roseburg that year. And uh, to us, that was just incredible, you know, that Hidden Valley could hang with Roseburg. And we went into overtime and we lost with a touchback. It was horrible. But anyway, um, um, but the thing I remember, you know, playing both ways, offense, defense, special teams, you know, I'd be pretty tuckered out by the end of the game. 
but it's amazing when we went into overtime how suddenly I felt superhuman strength to, to go back into it. And, and, and man, it was like I hadn't even played a game. It was like I got a whole new level of energy. I think when you mentally kind of get that thing, it's game on. When you get home, that's your second win. That's when you need to have your face ready, your, your attitude ready, your words ready to be dialed in. And, uh, and really, really important. By the way, Roseburg went on to win the state champion that year. We, we went into overtime with the state champs. We lost that game, and we didn't get to go even to the playoffs because of that. But that's just Hidden Valley High School's story. Um, you know, the thing is, your kids, how you are when you hang around with them, most of the things your kids learn are caught, not taught. You can teach till you're blue in the face, but they're going to watch you. So, Dad, if you're praying, if you're reading your Bible, um, if you're kind to your wife, your kids are going to learn from that. that. That's just the biggest lesson you could ever teach them. Um, if, you, um, if you're smoking pot and looking, to, looking at porn and, you know, uh, swigging down the alcohol and being abusive with your words and attitudes, then don't expect your kids to do any different. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how the, you know, it's, the Bible kind of talks about sins of the fathers, you know, visiting their kids and stuff. I think it has to do with this. Um, it's not that there's some, you know, magical curse upon your kids. It's, it's, it's not as magical as it is. It's like you get a disease and then your kids get the disease from you because you're there exposing them to this stuff. Um, I hope that dads, we realize that most of what our kids learn will be caught rather than taught. That's the first thing about, you know, this. And that's what it says, to bring up your kids. Um, I think that's what we have to be thinking about. Cognitive about our own behavior all the time, bringing up your kids. Number two, raising children is the dad's responsibility. Um, that's, that might seem like a, a, a wrong statement. Well, it's the dad, it takes two, a mom and a dad. It does, it does. But it's the dad's responsibility. When, you know, I have a hunch, when, when we stand before God, you know, the mom, she'll be awarded for her things that she does, and obviously the mom plays an important role. But it's funny, it seems that God puts it on your shoulders as a father to be your responsibility to make sure everything's working well. Um, if the family's broken down and not working, when that woman stands before God, I'm not sure she's the one who's going to be held accountable. I think it's the man, the husband, the father, that will have to stand before God and answer for what happened with his family. That's, that's why, you know, it's not a popular thing. It's not politically correct to say that the man is responsible um, for raising the, the children. But I think the Bible teaches that because of right here. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrap, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up. It's dad's responsibility. Number three, you're more than just a provider of money. <clears throat> Go with me to 1 Timothy real quick, or you can just jot it down if you, if you want. But 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 8. You guys know this one. Um, it says in, well, let's go first. First Timothy 5, 7, and 8. It says, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. What does this mean? You know, we always think that this idea of, you know, provision is, is monetary provision. You know, that we get a job and we pay the bills. Um, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say if he doesn't provide money as much. But I, I believe it could really mean provide everything that a family needs. The man is responsible for, to provide money, but also instruction and wisdom and, um, you know, the, this idea of uh, nurturing 
Um, we're going to talk about that, what that actually means, uh, nurturing. Uh, it's hard for us guys to even imagine nurture. Nurture is like a girl word. That's nurture. That's just nurture. It just sounds girly, doesn't it? Uh, we'll fix that in a second. Um, but, uh, you know, you got to look at this text. Um, <clears throat> but if any not provide not for his own, um, then he hath denied the faith and is worse than him. I think there's going to be guys standing before God um, and a little bit bummed when they realize the provision wasn't just, you know, the job. That's part of this mentality of when the big lift is, they think it's the job. So put all your energy into the work in your career and then come home and check out. But you're not really providing like God would have us to provide. Uh, love, affection, wisdom, teaching, and, and family devotions, and prayer, and bringing the word in. You know, packing your family up for church on Sundays, and, or Saturday nights, or Wednesday nights, you know, and, and saying, this is what my house is going to do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the provision, I think, that maybe goes way beyond the idea of money. Um, that, the money thing is, I think, actually kind of perhaps a real sideline part of that. It's, it's important, but I think we major on that and missed the point. Number four. Um, and again, I don't have any fancy alliteration or anything for these, but um, just some thoughts. You know, so number one, most of what your children learn is caught, not taught. Number two, raising children is the dad's responsibility. Number three, you are more than just a provider of money, um, but, you know, we're to provide everything that a family needs as, as men. Number four, spanking, or I, let me put it this way, not spanking your children is abusive. Let's put it that way. Not spanking your children is abusive. Now, this is where, depending on your worldview, some of you are very mad at me right now. Others of you are like, yeah, bring it on, Brett. Or some of you are like, uh, yep, tell you what, behind the bar and woodshed, you know, willow stick or belt buckle or whatever. whatever. Everybody's got a different view on this one. But <clears throat> let me just say this. <clears throat> the idea of not spanking your child is abusive according to the Bible. Um, it's kind of an a interesting thing. Back to our text here in, in, uh, in Ephesians, when it says the word nurture, this is, this is a funny thing. What does your NIV say when it says in uh, first, or Ephesians 6, it says in verse uh, 4, uh, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does your NIV Bible say there? Discipline. Training and admonition. Okay, that... The idea of nurture is, is in the old English, uh, is, is accurate, and then you understand why the King James guys translated it that way. But today, the word nurture means something a little different than it did back in King James 1611. <clears throat> so we sort of lose that. We're picturing cuddling and, you know, breastfeeding. That's nurture, if you ask me. But the word discipline is better. And, and you know, if you really want to go to the, the nitty-gritty, um, the, the word for nurture is paideia in the Greek, paideia. And paideia means discipline and punishment. If you look up the word paideia, it means punishment and discipline. <laughs> um, so what is it saying here? Dads, provoke not your children wrath, but bring them up in the discipline or even, you know, the idea is uh, punishment um, uh, and admonition of the Lord. Um, the word admonition, Greek word, nuthesia, uh, uh, means provide instruction to correct behavior. Instruction to correct, correct behavior. 
Um, to instruct, to teach, instruction, those are the kind of words that are associated with this word admonition. So you're teaching and disciplining is kind of the, the, the main theme here. And here's the Lord saying, dads, um, if you don't do this stuff, you can kind of turn it around. You're going to probably provoke your kids to anger. One of the things I've seen is the dad that neglects this job, their kids will grow up disappointed or angry or, or um, you know, it, it's an amazing thing how uh, it, the tables turn. When a dad sort of is the absentee dad or non-involved with his, with his kids, they grow up bitter about things that you might even be shocked they're even bitter about. Um, so, uh, do you remember at school, I don't know if everybody had the same experience as I did, but do you remember that teacher that um, was the most brutal? There was always that teacher that was kind of hardcore, but at the same time, that teacher, all the kids loved him. Did anybody, has, did anybody have a teacher like that in school? Yeah, like most of you guys. Um, uh, it's so funny to me because like I had a teacher uh, at Applegate Elementary when I was in seventh and eighth grade. He taught both grades because it was a, like a one-room schoolhouse kind of scenario. But Mr. Alexander, and he had a big red paddle on the, on the wall with his name and, uh, routered into it, Alexander. If he got whooped, you'd have his name like tattooed on your behind. Um, and he was scary, man. He was a scary dude. He'd, he'd just sit there and, you know, I've told you stories. He had his nose picker, you know, as the teacher's pointer. During tests, he'd set the pointer on the desk like this, in the front row of the desk. You know, some kid's taking his test and he's got his pointer sitting on the, and then he just rests his right nostril on the tip of, of the pointer stick. Like his nose, like this. He'd be there looking around the class. It was like, it was like, uh, and then he, and then if somebody was doing something wrong, he'd whack their desk with his pointer stick. I mean, it was old school, you know, uh, but what's so funny, and he was brutal, you know, let's get cracking, everybody, let's get cracking. That's what he'd say, you know, you know, he'd give the assignment, now let's get cracking. And it was just like, whoo, everybody's afraid. But the funniest thing, he was the most beloved teacher in all the school. When I was a student teacher, I went to Ashland. Now, Ashland is basically a miniature Berkeley trying to help you picture the scene. Hippies, pot, tie-dye, um, and, uh, and very liberal, you know, and, um, and I had a student teach in this junior high teacher's class, and she was one of these, you know, um, total flower child, you know, kind of junior high teacher. And I was supposed to go in and help with her class. And I've, I've, I've shared this before, I'm just, you know, ranting and raving here, but, um, but she, she uh, the first day I came into this class, she was one of these teachers, let the children express themselves and they should just be able to have fun. And, and you know, no rules, no, you know, this was kind of her way of doing junior high. Well, I went into the class, it was mayhem. I mean, the place was being remodeled, you know what I mean? Like the, the kids were just tearing things apart. The day I was there, um, it was uh, KTVL News came in to do a story on some project that their school was doing, and they were gonna use her class to be the one where they got some footage and some filming. Um, they set up their cameras, but the kids were so unruly, the camera crew ended up packing their stuff up and running for their lives, and they never got the footage because their class was so crazy. I was supposed to come in there and teach a, a two-week uh, series as a student teacher in this free classroom. Um, and I came in there as a disciplinarian, and I got them all seated and made them be quiet, and the teacher hated it. She got me horrible marks. Um, but here's the funny thing. This is a true story. Um, I was like the authoritarian, but by the end of those two weeks, um, even though she gave me horrible marks um, because I was too disciplinarian, the kids literally, when I left, they were weeping. 
Like the kids were crying, oh, we don't want you to leave. Like, please stay and help us. Like I remember the, just the juxtaposition of the loosey-goosey. Now see, some people are raising their kids that way. That's like, oh, you know, man is basically good. That's the premise of, you know, secular humanistic society. Your kids are basically little angels. Let them express themselves and eventually they'll learn their way. Bible says no. The Bible says that not spanking your child is abusive. Can I, um, can I show you some important things about this? Um, now, now, a few disclaimers. Nothing that I say uh, and nothing in God's word um, or in this teaching allows for true child abuse. I gotta say that. Um, you know, Jesus was a protector of little children. Uh, if Jesus talked about if you offend one of these little ones, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. So um, there's, that, that's the problem with this topic. There's two ends of a spectrum. There's the non-disciplinarian, and then there's the abusive parent. And, um, and I gotta say this, perhaps most of what I see in parents who spank their children is abusive. That's a big statement, I know, but most parents just don't know how to do it lovingly, correctly, and I'm gonna to try to help with that. But this is, an important, this is hugely important that we get this uh, as men because the Bible does teach spanking is important, but it can be misused. Um, uh, love always has to be a primary factor in, in uh, dealing with any child. Spanking a child too harshly, too inconsistent, uh, too late, too hasty, too much, um, again, inconsistently, that's abuse. When you spank a child inconsistently, that's abuse. So, so it's easy to become abusive, I think, with spanking. Don't get me wrong on this. So there's all kinds of disclaimers. Um, but the only absolute authority on how to raise kids is God's word. That's my belief. Um, Brett, spanking is abusive. Uh, I'm a counselor. I have a degree in psychology. Well, la-ti-da. Freud was wrong on a lot of things. And I just land with the Bible, I really do. I, I, I trust that the Bible, God knows more about us than psychology does, I just believe that. That's why there's this problem between pastors and psychologists. Psychologists, a lot of them say, we know more than God's word. I just disagree with that. Um, and spanking is one of those things. Now, it was Dr. Spock, uh, you're thinking uh, Star Trek, um, but it was Dr. Spock who wrote the book, what was it in the 60s, I think it was, the late 60s? Um, and basically, he uh, really pushed the notion that spanking is abusive, and he wrote a lot of things about raising children. Interesting, um, that book changed a lot of people's minds. Our culture changed uh, in the 60s and, uh, and all that. And uh, it was funny because when Dr. Spock, I remember seeing an interview with him like just before he died, the guy who wrote this book, and he, he actually said uh, people took his um, advice further than he ever meant it to go. And I think what he, what he saw was the way that it was kind of starting to shake out. Undisciplined, untrained, kids without spankings, how that actually worked out. And let me just ask you, since the 60s when we started aborting, uh, you know, uh, pardon me, um, uh, since the 60s when we started, you know, uh, getting angry at people who spanked their children, how has that worked out for our society? You know, the father that raises their kids and teaches them and in the admonition of the Lord in old school, loving, but old school kind of way. Um, do we have a society that's, you know, uh, able to work together, play as a team, agree? Are we all, you know, united? Are we all working well together? Or is our society kind of a mess? See, that's the thing. If we go with the Bible, I think um, there's, some, there's some great things. Let's talk about what the Bible says. Um, go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. 
Um, one of the misconceptions of spanking our children, and this is all part of you raising, and the word nurture of our text, the word nurture, discipline. One of the misconceptions, uh, let me give you a few misconceptions. One is that spanking is an act of hatred. That's what you'll hear from, you know, Dr. Brazelton on Good Morning America, which you'll hear on the, you know, uh, the various uh, women's talk shows during the afternoons that a lot of your wives are watching, and you're going to have to undo some of the brainwashing that, uh, that they'll do. But one of those things is that spanking is an act of hatred. Um, Proverbs 3.11, jot this down or, or, or read it with me. In Proverbs 3.11, it says this, um, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his, of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father um, the son in whom he delighteth. So when people say that spanking, and the word chastening is, um, is, is really uh, spanking, not punitively, but correctively. That's, that's kind of an important part of this. Um, the Bible says that um, God chastens us, disciplines us, and it says don't despise that. I see parents who will not spank their children because they didn't want to, you know, do the act of hatred until they actually are so mad at their kids uh, it's so out of hand that they felt like spanking them. And this is really dangerous. When a, when a parent's spanking their children out of anger, that's the worst case scenario right there. Nobody should ever, ever, ever spank their ch child when they're angry or upset. Um, man, I hope you guys know this. this. This is something you need to help your wives with. Um, man, I could get into some practical stuff. I don't know how much into the weeds I should get, but, um, but let's just kind of play it by ear. Um, your kids, when they're like little preschoolers, your wife is probably one who could do some of the spanking. Um, but, um, but there's a point where your wife retires the paddle and it's your job solely. I believe that. There's a point when a child gets to an age where um, they have a long enough memory to know. Uh, I remember when my mom said, you just wait till your dad gets home because she knew her spankings were ineffective. It was almost like a massage to me, you know? It was like, it was like, it didn't hurt. And she thought she was killing me, you know? But I was like, ha, ha, ha. And I, I remember even, you know, trying to fake it, like I was crying, you know, I was like, yeah, that really hurts. I remember those days. But I remember the horror when she said, I am no longer gonna spank you, it's only gonna be your dad. I knew, oh man, I'm in trouble now. Uh, I remember those things. And there's a certain age where a child knows, okay, because you did this thing, when your dad gets home, we're going to talk about this, and he's going to decide what is the appropriate, you know, penalty. Um, but but I, one of the things I think moms, because, because moms tend to be uh, wired by God in a good way, more sensitive, they're also more emotional. I said it. There, I said it. I'm sorry. Uh, but it's true. Wives are more emotional than us guys, generally speaking. I know there's, there's, there's differences and stuff, but some people have different, but it's just true. So it's your job as a dad to make sure your wife never has to be in that situation where she's being so emotionally stretched that she gets furious with the kids and then she's spanking the kids out of anger. That's your fault as a man who's supposed to be covering his family. 
Um, when you get home, you know, uh, here's what my dad used to do, and I, I've adopted the same thing when my kids were in, uh, little. Um, the first thing I would do, and the first thing my dad did when we get home is, you know, give your wife a hug and a kiss and say hello and uh, tune into her. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, my dad would sit down. They had little places on a summer afternoon, they had a little bench outside in the backyard. They'd go and sit down and just, my dad, you know, you'd, you'd think he was like, um, you know, this Mr. Sensitive, because he just said, honey, how was your day? You know, tell, tell me about your day. And my mom would just tell him about his day, and he'd, he'd be listening. You know, meanwhile, he just, you know, poured uh, thousands of yards of concrete and was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, on a big job site. But now he's listening to my mom about how, you know, uh, you know Brett was today. And, and you know, and, and like, like he shifted gears. Game on. Big lift was when my dad sat down with my mom, and my mom would tell about the day, but that's also when she would rat me out. My mom would say, well, you know, um, Todd, uh, Brett did this today. And my dad would say, okay. You know, and then they'd talk and finish. And then they'd pray. They always prayed. He'd grab her by the hand and say, Lord, bless our evening. Help us. To... You know, from that point on, he would either, uh, he'd find me. who was usually hiding somewhere. Um, but he'd say, Brett, go to your room. And I knew I was in trouble. And he would send me to the room. And, and usually there'd be time. And the time I, I realized later, and I used it myself, the time is to pray about your own heart attitude because you should never spank in anger and make sure your heart is right. And then when you go in to spank your child, it's, there's never anger. It's all about love. The reason you're spanking your child is because you love them and you want them to do well. And uh, you, if that's in the forefront of your mind, you're probably on the way to doing something good. Um, but uh, the idea of, of this, you know, correcting God, correcting those who he loves, that's what it says here in Proverbs three eleven. He doesn't correct the people he doesn't love, if you would. Uh, I don't correct your kids. I corrected my kids because I loved them uh, more than anything, anybody else in the world, my kids. That's why I spanked them. Um, so spanking being an act of hatred, that's one of the biggest misconceptions. It's actually totally the opposite, and God is the perfect model. Don't despise the chastening or the punishment of the Lord because um, he's even as a father in the son whom he delighteth. That's an important verse on that. Um, actually, the Bible teaches the opposite of that spanking is an act of Flip over to uh, Proverbs 13. And again, if you have a problem with this, you're basically saying, I disagree with the Bible. Just, just telling you this, just something to think about. Proverbs 13, verse 24. There it says in Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loves him chasteneth him betimes. Now, there's a couple things in this verse that are really key when it comes to spanking your children, raising them up uh, in the godly kind of way. As it says, if you spare the rod, you hate your son. And, and, and this is an interesting thing, because some of you say, well, I don't spank my children, and I don't hate them. So that, that proves that, that Bible verse wrong. But the, the, the Bible saying to withhold the rod of co- correction, you're demonstrating um, hatred in the sense that you're saying, go on, head into ruin and destruction because I don't care. That's, that's kind of what the Bible's saying. Uh, I, I love you right now, but I don't care that my lack of ability to spank my children the way the Bible says, I could care less that you're going to grow up uh, and, and have all kinds of trouble. So if you really love your child, you'll show that, that, uh, that by correcting them when they disobey, um, spanking them. Now notice it also uses the word rod. You never see in the Bible um, where a, a father is to spank his child with his hand. 
Um, it's always interesting how the world sort of turns us around. Oh, that's abusive, beating your kid with a stick. And it sounds so <clears throat> horrible, you know, the way they put it. But um, there is another side of that coin, and that is this. Um, my hand for my kids was the hand that tickles. My hand was the hand that protects. Man, if you mess with my family, you've got a big hand that's going to have some, you're going to have some big troubles. Because this hand was on their side, protecting, uh, having fun. There's a hand of warmth and of love. When I reached my hand to my kids, my kids would never shriek back and go, ah, that's the scary hand that spanks. Never. But, but the paddle, we had a little paddle that said the, what is it, the Board of Correction applied to the seat of learning. Um, <clears throat> and there was a place where the victims could sign the paddle. Um, and we ran out of space when Joey, uh, how does, uh, no, I'm just, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is, you know, this little, little paddle, and, you know, that, that was the paddle. It wasn't my hand, and, and see, the thing is, it wasn't meant to be abusive. It was a, a wide little board that was light, and it wasn't abusive. It didn't leave bruises or anything like that, but it just smarted a little bit, um, and, um, and it, was, it was a little, you know, a little bit of a pop, when you spank their little behinds, I think that's why God made it that way, a little padding area in the backside. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we'd put the paddle away, and my hand was always an, an instrument of love and kindness, but the Bible always talks about the rod of correction, never talks about the hand that's gonna spank the child. I think that's abusive to use your hand, and by the way, um, to make your hand effective, it doesn't work that well. Like you either have to, you know, to make it really hurt, it's more of a thud and it's abusive and bruising. Like it doesn't work. It's like taking a ping pong paddle, you know, and you could smack your leg with it and uh, it's not gonna bruise. It might sting a little, but it's not gonna like beat the blood vessels to a pulp and stuff like that. Like it's, it's, it's really interesting if you do through the biology the hand is abusive. That's what I believe. That's why the Bible says the rod. If you, it says, he that spares the rod hates his son. Very important stuff to think about there. Um, um, by the way, uh, so number, number one misconception, spank is act of hatred. Nope, totally the opposite. If you don't spank your kids, you hate your son. That's what the Bible says. If you do spank your children in love, rightly, then you're demonstrating that you love and you care about them. Number, uh, number two was... Um, um, well, that was number one, right? Number two, um, that control of your child can be gained later. Misconception about spanking, I'm going to wait and uh, put it off until much later. Um, we usually express this uh, excuse for not correcting our children as sort of a stage they're going through. This is one of the things I, I actually sort of reject. When, and I know it's kind of cute and people talk about the terrible twos, but when people say the terrible twos, red flags go up in my mind. This is because I've been around children and parents and as a teacher, as a pastor, as a parent. I just know that when people say terrible twos, often, oftentimes that's just an excuse. That's just an excuse, oh, they're just going through a stage, they're in the terrible twos, and we're gonna get through this phase. No, the terrible twos are not that terrible, first of all. Two, two-year-olds are really cute and really fun. The hard part about the two-year-olds is they're so cute they can do naughty things and you just sort of laugh and chuckle and you go, ha, that's really funny. It's not funny when they're 16 though. And they're still doing, you know, the things that they were doing when they were in their terrible twos. 
Um, terrible twos is, is like an excuse, in my humble opinion. I think we have to watch out for whenever we call something a stage. Oh, they're in junior high. It's just a stage they're going through. And we dismiss the behavior without correcting the behavior. Um, the terrible twos are one of the most important times to start teaching your kids so that you won't have to teach them when they're in middle school or in high school. Um, I think a lot of times dads miss the window of opportunity because they start disciplining too late in the game. Um, in my opinion, and this is up to you in prayer and seeking the Lord, but um, if you're spanking your child past like nine years old, you're, you're, probably, mess, you're probably missing it. Um, by the time my kids were nine or 10, I don't remember Joey when we were last spanking, I guess it was a couple days ago, but no, just kidding. No, no, no I'm just kidding. That's what no, I think he was like nine or 10 maybe. Uh, uh, the girls, was, it was even earlier than that by far because, well, Casey was the kid that we had to look for reasons to spank her just to make it feel sort of equal. Um, I think Casey looked at Brookie and Joey was like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, well, she learned, learned all those things by watching them. Um, but but there is a timing. Go to, go to Proverbs 19, 18. It's interesting, the book of wisdom. Proverbs has all this stuff on spanking, but people just dismiss it because it's in the Old Testament. But it's wisdom from God. It's very important to remember that. In Proverbs 19, 18, it says there, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Did you see that? There's a couple things there. Um, uh, while there's still hope, that's the problem. We've created the terrible twos and the teen years as an explanation for a lack of our godly parenting. But God's word shows that if we don't have control of our children now, it's doubtful that we'll have control later. You know, that's why there's a timing thing. Each child has a window of hope is what I'll, I'll call it. Um, biblical discipline is based on the concept of, of um, something the world hates. Uh, spanking your child. And so parents and people are afraid to do it. They're hesitant to do it. But, um, but, you know, it's funny. Our children will naturally become selfish, hateful, cruel, lying. We never teach those things. Have you ever noticed that? You never sat down with your kids and said, okay, today I'm going to teach you how to lie. That just comes really natural. It's called the human condition. It's called the sin nature in the Bible. We all have it. Um, I do believe kids are innocent, but they're still sinful. Do you understand? There's an innocence in kids. They, they, don't, they aren't taught why lying is wrong. That's your job to do that. Um, and it's important to let them know. Eventually, um, uh, that, that spanking that you do, the external discipline, will become internal. Um, and that's part of the deal. Um, uh, and by the way, this idea of the crying there in our, in our text, when it says, you know, chasing thy son while there's hope, and let that thy soul spare for his crying, Man, kids, they, you know, they work their parents. They're so smart in this one. Um, have you seen the kid that's really good at the fake crying? Um, once in a while, you'll see it. And I love it when I see a parent just kind of go, yeah, I know that cry. That's not real. But it's really painful. Have you ever seen the parent that doesn't get that? Like the, the child, uh, it's time to go to bed. They start crying. They're looking over here what dad's doing. They're kind of working the system and they got the, the little fake cry start going. Remember that? Or the angry cry. So they, ah! And they'll do that for hours. It's amazing. Real crying, by the way, can't last for hours. The fake crying lasts for hours. Um, uh, and, and the idea of crying, well, that's misconception number three when it comes to spanking, that crying is to be avoided at all costs. 
There are parents that kind of think, oh, if Junior's crying, oh, that's horrible, I've done something wrong, I'm not a good parent, my child is crying. But sadly, you know, you'll see it in the eyes of certain parents. Panic and fear happens to the parent when their child starts to cry. Um, And this starts really early. Uh, Boy, I mean, I could go on and on about like little hints that this is gonna be a problem for you. Let me just give you a few. If you um, won't uh, let the baby in the bassinet, after a little while, they're still in the room and they still sleep with you in the bed because they were crying. And so now they're 16 and they're still in the bassinet in your bedroom and they're still crying. Uh, You know you've done something wrong there. Uh, another big one, um, uh, this is a, this, I know this is going to hurt some of you, but some of you dads dropped the ball because your wife said, we're not dropping our kid off in that nursery. There's disease there. Now, I'm of the opinion, my kids, uh, it was really good for them because there was disease in the nursery and it builds up their immune, immune system. If you isolate them at home, they're not going to have a very, like, like it's just part of the real world. You got to kind of get them out there. Our kids went to the nursery like two weeks into the game. Uh, they were there in the nursery, you know, and Debbie would use the nursing mom's room and do all the, the nice protocols, but our kids early, and they learned to adapt really early to going into the nursery. Yeah, but the, Brett, in the preschool room, there's kids that pull the hair and they're punching you in the face. That's real world life, real life. Now we have three adult teachers in each classroom watching for that, attempting to keep the kids, but part of that is the learning process of intermixing and, and you know, and, and uh, you know, Athey Creek really, as much as some people may not believe this, is about as safe of a place as it gets when it comes to dropping kids off in the nursery. But if you're the dad who's passively let your, your, your wife, who's sensitive and loves the kids, you're not being the counterbalance to that, saying, honey, you know, we do need to drop our kids off, and there, there needs to be kind of a, a, a thing where we sort of let our kids, you know, grow, and it's part of their, their life experience that they need to, you know, we're going to risk Put, put them out there and risk a little bit. And, and it's, it's usually the dad that has to sort of counterbalance overprotective heart that the mom has. I'm not knocking the mom's overprotective heart. That's, that's, God gave her that. But God also gave you brothers the heart to say, oh, I, I need to probably stretch ourselves a little bit. And, and now if you have a wife that's over the top uh, on just uh, disease and worried about all this stuff, um, good luck, man. Uh, that's something I don't even want to know what to tell you. I don't even know what to tell you, man. Um, I, know, I, know who, I know how it goes. Some of you guys are really got the battle. You know, you got, uh, I won't even go into essential oils and all the stuff that, you know, like some of you guys have trouble, and I'll, we'll just pray for you. But, but I do think, I, I sort of joke about that, but I do think that, that um, this is for you young single guys. When you're choosing who you're married, if she tends to be kind of paranoid um, before you're even married about health and, and crazy things and, and, and kids and, and before you're even married, that might be a red flag, just something to say. So something that, you know, before you say, I do, you might be able to. But then also, as a young man who's married, to, to you know, use, use your, the wisdom God's given you as a man and sort of that, uh, you know, whatever it is the Lord gave us, instead of fear, maybe a little more logic and using the scriptures to even sort of uh, ready the heart of your wife before the child even comes. And I'm talking about you young single guys or maybe you married guys that don't even have babies yet or anything. You can start kind of, you know, working on things. See, you have to understand, my wife, Debbie, was raised in a house where guns were evil. Guns are evil. And, and, um, and you know, they didn't believe in spanking and they had all kinds of things. It was a different thing. So, you know, when Joey came along, you know what boys do, man? As soon as they get a stick, it's a sword or it's a gun. 
And I remember, you know, when I first got married to Deb, I was, I was like, okay, and I grew up on a farm. We shot stuff just for fun. <laughs> and, um, and so, like, you know, Debbie was like, that's not a gun. That's a love stick. And I'm like, no, it's a gun. <laughs> Joey, shoot it dead, buddy. Shoot it dead. <laughs> Dude, I'm cooter. You know, it's like, it's like, um, anyway, so... <laughs> So boys are going to do that. Now, now by the way, this, this translates, I'll just tell you why. And I'm not, you know, saying pro-gun or anything like that. I'm, not, I'm just saying, I think God wired men, um, perhaps, with a, a, a sense of protection for family. Um, and, and, um, and see, the problem is when, when little boys grow up with that energy and stuff, um, there, there is a tendency to say, well, we don't want to promote violence. And, and we don't. But here's the problem. What's interesting, did you know that the statistics tell us that the, the young boys that are raised only in a single-parent mother home, they're like, you know, three times more likely to be a violent offender of some kind than a, 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 a little boy that was raised in a house with a father. If we have time, I've got tons of statistics. Oh, looks like I'm out of time. But, um, uh, but um, you know, the idea of, um, of you, you know, I, I wanted Joey to be raised with this mindset that, um, yeah, you were given strength, and you were given um, that desire to fight, and, and, you know, we used to wrestle, and it's just part of who, who we are as, as guys. If a parent doesn't give a, 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 an outlet for that and, and, a, and a, an ability to curb that, that sort of tendency to be, you know, even violent, there, there's, a, there's a time to turn it on and a time to turn it off. There's a time when it's right, and there's a time when it's wrong. The boy that gets that stifled altogether, they don't know how to deal with that when they get older. Um, and and I, I worry that we've become such a soft society that that's why we have all these violent offenders. They just don't even know what to do. They never had a dad. Um, there's something about you know, a dad who can wrestle with the son, and the son has to learn, you know, I, uh, I, can't, I can't overcome this guy. My dad, I, I try to pin him, but I never can. Now, it's troublesome. Joey and you know, I used to wrestle with him and you know, generally dominate but he's been doing this Brazilian jiu-jitsu thing now for years, and I'm like, uh, I'm not, I have nothing to prove, Joe. I beat you a million times. Uh, I don't need to wrestle you anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he wants me to join the wrestling thing. I know what he's thinking. He's like, I'm going to tie my dad into a pretzel. Um, he deserves it. But, um, but, you know, the thing that's great about Joe is he had that from the, as a little kid, just that, you know, run, make, make a stick, a gun, and stuff like that. But he also knows that, that um, man, you need to be a man who knows how to shut that down. And there's a time to, you know, be rough, and there's a time to be calm and, and controlled. And I worry that we haven't really given our, our sons proper training um, in that. Um, you know, um, how does a man become a soldier? I think, this, I think a soldier is necessary for a nation. God used soldiers in his word. Um, Romans 13 says that there's the soldier that carries the sword that's God's servant. Like there's a, there's a place and a time for a guy to be a police officer or a soldier or something. And there's men that do that stuff. But um, the guys that are good at that, they have to have a balance. They have to know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. Our society is, we're finding that harder and harder to find guys that actually do that well. And I believe that it's because largely dads have dropped that ball. Something to think about. Well, I'm going to skip through some of this stuff, but um, uh, myth number, what are we on, four? Uh, spanking, spanking myths. Um, my child is n- naturally good. That's a myth. Proverbs 22:15. Proverbs 22:15. 15. 
Um, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from him. So while I said, yeah, children are innocent, uh, there's an innocence about children, yes, but there's foolishness bound in their heart. That's the sin nature the Bible talks about. Um, and that's kind of important. You know, we have an epidemic today with parents who think their children are perfect. Um, I remember when um, one of my kids would misbehave in the Sunday school class, the horror on the look of the Sunday school teacher's face when they had to come and talk to Pastor Brett about, your, you know, your kids were a little bit rambunctious in church today. And they were like, like my kids were somehow, because they were the pastor's kids, they were gonna be perfect. Um, and um, so when they came and told me that, I'd say, no, my little angel would never do anything like that. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> No. Um, you know, I did what my dad did. If, if a teacher from Sunday school said that I was misbehaving, I got a spanking when we got home. And then he asked questions what I did afterward. You see, it was just kind of an assumed thing. Brett, if you're causing trouble for your teacher in any way, shape, or form, you're wrong. And there was no question. You know, I, I worry about these, these teachers today that, um, I mean, these parents that, that don't even listen to their, their teachers or the people that actually know, not my child, um, and what have you. Now, by the way, sideline note, infants shouldn't be spanked, okay? That's important. Infants shouldn't be spanked. There's an age where you'll see that little strong will kick in. Uh, it's a willful, a willful thing. And, um, you know, it might start just really, really tiny. I remember um, with our kids, there was an age where they'd look at you and they'd start grabbing the thing, you know, and, and then, uh, and I remember Debbie just took a little hand, little hand slap on the top of the hand, not painful at all, just kind of like, what was that all about? Um, and then pull their hand back and then try it again, a little hand slap. And eventually that moves over to the behind uh, where that's a spanking. Uh, number five, myth, spanking is harmful to children. Proverbs 23 13, withhold not correction from the child, for if you beat him with the rod, he shall not die. That's an interesting scripture. Um, now, those who hate or misuse scripture are used, uh, they're quick to misunderstand the meaning of these words. They see the word beat, and they jump to all kinds of conclusions, you know. Um, it doesn't mean to cruelly injure. It means um, to strike with a swinging motion. The, 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 the actual spanking motion is what the Hebrew word is talking about there. Um, when, uh, um, when, when a, a parent spanks their child, uh, it says, when God says he will not die here in our text, he will not die, um, the properly applied spanking will not kill him or cause permanent harm. Rather, the, um, you know, the total of the verses we're studying here about spanking in Proverbs um, is the best way to assure a mature adult uh, with integrity. Um, if you don't correct your, your child, remember, it's an evidence of hatred for your child, but you're actually not saving like salvation, becoming a Christian, saving them from all kinds of trouble and even death that might come from bad behavior. Romans, uh, problem, um, uh, uh, back to Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Um, and by the way, when it says hates his son um, in Proverbs 13, 24, back to that one. And remember I said, uh, he that hates, hates his son, uh, spares the rod, hates the son, but he that loveth him, chasten him betimes. The word betimes is something you should know too. And that is, it means consistency and repetition. Um, one of the biggest mistakes parents do is send wrong signals. Junior learns how far the threshold is before he gets a spanking. If you do that, I'm gonna spank you. And then he does it. No, no, this time for real, you're actually doing more damage by inconsistency than you are by, uh, do, uh, it'd be better for you not to spank him at all than to be inconsistent. That's where dad, you've got to come in. 
I think the mom struggles with this more than the guys, generally speaking. Not always, um, but to be consistent. Um, that's one thing my dad was like, um, like math. It was all math. There was no emotion. Um, this is something I used to use with Debbie. Debbie would call me, Brett, the kids are going crazy. What do I do? And I'd say, honey, it's all math. There's no emotion here. Um, it's one plus one equals two. And I want you to just, it's all math. So then, <laughs> I don't know if my kids remember this, but Debbie would hang up the phone and she would say, Joey, go to your room. And when your dad gets home, he's going to have a little talk with you. And she took the motion out of it. Beforehand, she was like, oh, but, I'm gonna do this, but now it's all math. There's no motion. See, that's the thing. It's all math. Uh, and, and then that's such a key because with my father, if, you, if my dad said, um, Brett, if you say no to your mother, you will get a spanking. Um, I just knew that was math. Like it was, it was as clear and scientific as the sun rising in the morning. Uh, I knew that was going to happen. So if, if my mom said, Brett, go clean your room, and I said, no. That was a guaranteed spanking from dad, like math. You know what I mean? That's what I mean, math. So dads, you need to help your, your wives, your, maybe your grandpas, your, your sons, sons-in-laws. Uh, remind them that it's all math. You love your kids, and you can be passionate about all that stuff. But when it comes to discipline, it should all be math. Uh, on, off, yes to no, and it should be clear so that the child knows clear behavior. Oh man, I'm running out of time. No, number six, um, myth about spanking, that the child's behavior and their spiritual condition are unrelated. Um, Proverbs 23, 14, for speed, thou shalt beat him with the rod and thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. That's an interesting one. Um, you say, Brett, are you saying that if you don't spank your kids, your kids are going to hell? What I am saying, and what I believe the Bible is saying here, that for a child to understand punitive, or not punitive, but corrective punishment, it helps them to understand the gospel message. You see, by the time I was five, I already knew the whole gospel thing, but I didn't even know that I knew. See, my mom sat me down when I was five, I said, Brett, you're a sinner. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I get spanked all the time, daily. I understand that. So I already knew that. And she said, you know, you deserve punishment for your sin. By the time I was five, I already knew that. Punishment, every day I get punished. Um, and I don't like it. And she says, you know, when you get a spanking, that's punishment, but that's nothing compared to the punishment that God requires from all of humanity. If you sin, it's not being paddled or spanked. It's actually death and hell for eternity. The scariest thing you could ever imagine or think. And, and see, because I already knew by the age of five that punishment is math. If you do this, then this will happen. And in God's economy, if you sin against God, you deserve death and hell. Like at five-year-old, I already had the concept because my dad's godly form of discipline. So that when my mom said, you know, basically you get out of a spanking for free and it's the biggest spanking of all eternity um, because somebody was spanked on your behalf. Like, she didn't use those terms, but, but it was totally familiar to me, the idea of, of, of corrective punishment and how I deserved this, you know, this giant spanking from God, but God took the spanking for me. Like, I already had those concepts. Kids that grow up with zero consequence for their actions and the idea of corrective punishment means nothing to them. The idea of, you know, if you do this, then that's gonna happen. The wishy-washy, open-minded, all that stuff. There's a reason why kids will stare God in the face and say, God, if you're loved, then why would this? And they, they have this sort of attitude and they don't realize with God, it's all math. 
And the Bible teaches that it's all math. If you do this, then that's gonna happen. So when we as dads drop the ball with the math and the discipline and the corrective, you know, the paddling, we're dropping the ball with our kids understanding the gospel message. That's an important thing, I hope you get that. Man, I could go on and on about all this stuff. I'm just gonna, kind of rambling now. Let me, let me give you guys an assignment and then we'll call it a day. And, and I'll give you a verse and assignment. One more verse, turn really quick, Deuteronomy 6. This is your assignment. I've talked probably more about spanking than I meant to, um, but it is a huge part of what we're supposed to do. And by the way, spanking's not always the solution. Sometimes there's other corrective things you can do. Um, I hope you, you don't uh, think that that's the only form of correction, uh, but it, it is one that while you can, while your kids are little enough, and you don't have to spank hard, but they're little enough where it leaves an impression, man, that, that's an important thing. But on this thing of bringing up your home and bringing up your family um, and loving your kids and, and lo- loving your grandkids, um, there's a, a it's, well, it comes from this section of Scripture called the Great Shema. The, the Great what? Well, the Hebrews call it the Great Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6. We'll start in verse 4. It says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul and with all thy might. Do you remember somebody who quoted that? Anybody? Jesus, right? Jesus quoted this. This is a big deal. Jesus quoted this scripture from Deuteronomy um, and said it was the greatest of the commandments, right? And, you know, he said, love, love, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. Verse six, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and, verse seven, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. The Jews were told, you need to teach your kids to love the Lord your God with all of your you know, heart, with all of your soul, with all your might. And, and basically gave the fathers the cha- challenge, the admonition to teach your kids. And when do you teach them? This is interesting. It's not just one little lesson, but it's, it's your life. And, and, and notice there's like four things when you, number one, when you sit in your house, number two, when you walk by the way, number three, when you lie down, and number four, when you rise up. Here's your assignment for you dads. How are you applying this? Are, are you using these times to teach your kids the truth of God's word and, and, and to teach them life lessons? Are you doing it when you sit in your house? Man, when do you sit in your house? Uh, people don't do that anymore. Um, but sitting at the dinner table, that's something that's good to bring back, supper. And when you're sitting at the dinner table, use that time to instruct. I hope you guys are doing family devotions, you guys that have little kids or even junior hires or even high schoolers that you're doing family devos, or at least, you know, our family devos kind of evolved from, you know, okay, we're going to learn a lesson in the Bible today to when my kids got older. Okay, so what was the hardest thing that happened to you at school today? Well, so-and-so, this teacher said this and did that. And I said, well, let's talk about that. And as a family, we start rapping about, what do you do when a teacher says this and that and the other? That, like family devotions kind of became more practical and less, you know, Bible story the older my kids got. And when you sit down, are you guys doing that kind of stuff with your kids? Question number two, um, when you walk us by the way, when you go places and do stuff. I think some of the best times Joey and I had talking about life and 
and, uh, you know, uh, girls and, and um, you know, purity and integrity and the things that a, a dad needs to pass on is probably when we're just out doing chores around the house or, um, you know, when we go, you know, load our dirt bikes in the back of the truck and go, you know, ride some motocross and then sit on the tailgate. We just sit on the tailgate and talk about life and what's going on. And like, it's something about when a father and son has those moments of, you know, fun dirt bikes and stuff, but also to use that time to instruct. Are you doing that, dads? Um, when, you, when you walk us by the way, when you lie down, dads of you, this is, oh man, I, I feel so bad. Some of you dads are missing it. One of the funnest things you can do is tuck your kids in at night. Man, there's something about the tuck-in time where kids are receptive. You know, you tickle and you tuck, and I used to uh, make uh, kid burritos, you know, out of the kids. I'd tuck them in and make little burritos. And Casey, I learned later, she could never go to sleep when I tucked her in as a kid burrito because she didn't want to mess up the burrito. And she wouldn't move, so she was perfectly still. And she didn't want to mess up the burrito, so she'd stay awake like hours. I just found that out like a couple nights ago. Um, <laughs> she told me that. She told me that. I was like, oh, when you were little, you didn't want. But, um, you know, and, and, but, but it was those bedtimes where I could just really as a, you know, maybe I came off harsh sometimes as a dad. I know I dropped the ball on that sometimes. And, but there's something really tender about the tuck-in time where you get to pray with your kids and give them a kiss and hug them and then say goodnight. Man, and they won't always be that little and you'll lose that opportunity, dads. It goes by really fast. When you lie down, and then finally when you raise up in the morning. I love it when my dad used to raise up at five o'clock in the morning, he'd wake me up. I used to not like it except for he'd cook ham and eggs. And we'd, we'd you know, 5 a.m. before he'd go to work, we'd, we'd sit there and we'd read a proverb every day. Like, like if, it was, you know, if it was, you know, June 7th, we'd read Proverbs chapter seven. And we'd just go through the Proverbs, and my dad would read them, and then we'd talk about them as we're eating our ham and eggs that he'd fix. And then he'd go off to work, I'd go off to school. But rising up in the morning, like that can be a really good time. One of my favorite things was taking my kids out, you know, individually for breakfast uh, on a Saturday morning, or, you know, whenever I could find a time where they were available. Just, just me and Brooke, or, you know, me or Joe, just going out and get some pancakes at Miller's or whatever. And, um, and, and, and using that time, you know, when you rise up in the morning and teaching them the Lord, to love the Lord with all their might, with all their soul, with all their strength. Um, well, I ramble, uh, but uh, let's take these things. That's your assignment, is to say, how am I doing as a dad or a grandpa in these areas? Um, let me do a quick informal poll. How many guys are grandfathers? Raise your hand. Sweet. How many guys are dads right now of, let's say, preschool or younger? Sweet, awesome. How many guys are dads of junior high or younger? How many guys are dads of high school or younger? Okay, yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and then how many guys are single guys? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because who knows? Who knows uh, how that might pan out in the future? Some of you guys are single guys and your grandfathers uh, and your fathers. You're all of the above. Uh, and that's, you know, some of you guys are like, well, Brett, it's too late for me. I'm already, no, man, I hope you guys really... Uh, realize you can be that man right now, that grandpa right now. Lord, I pray for my brothers uh, that we would, Lord, uh, really take this challenge to um, what, what Paul told the Ephesian church about dads not provoking their children to wrath, but bringing them up uh, with nurture or discipline, um, with admonition, Lord, teaching and instruction. Lord, I pray that we do that, but I pray also we would exemplify the love of the Father that you have for us.
Lord, I pray that my brothers would teach and train their kids in a godly way. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave our wives out there hanging by themselves with discipline and and doing the child raising. Lord, forgive us where we've been um, sort of absentee dads just because we think we're providing the bills. Lord, we we really are just scratching the surface on this topic, and I pray that you'd give us wisdom to be able to um, reset, not be sucked into the worldview that dads are lame and that spanking is wrong and that um, discipline is uh, not correct. Lord, help us to think biblically, not, not worldly. So give my brothers strength. May they, may they do these things that we've talked about and then go and do even better than what we've talked about, Lord, I pray. May the families be strong. May their kids grow up loving you and walking with you. Give these guys wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Well, I got through about a fourth of my notes, so um, it's a start, I guess. Maybe we'll have to do some more on this uh, later. But uh, man, I just, I'm so glad you guys are here. I, I know that some of the stuff I'm talking about, is even kind of controversial in some circles. I understand that. But I, um, but I also hope you know that um, uh, old school is not always wrong. And the Bible, uh, the way of training our families, let's get back to the word. Let's get back to the word. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you tonight or tomorrow. You're dismissed.